the almighty sovereign God who, who created every molecule that exists and holds every molecule in existence right now, he, 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 could, he could just intimidate us into obedience if he wanted to. But what he does is he dies for us on the cross. And he wants to win us over with his love. And the beauty of his love is what wins us over and then transforms us and makes our life then begin to take on that beauty. And that is the dome in which God is king, the kingdom of God. And that is what it's all about. And if you have, if you have discovered that, if you've sat at the foot of the cross and laid your burdens down and he's won your heart and, you, and you've received that forgiveness and you've heard him say, I love you with your name attached to it and that's a reality for you. If you've ever tasted that, smelled that, been in that place, then you, you, have, you are free. Amen. You are free. You, you have found life. You've found what it's all about. It doesn't get better than that. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what I'm talking about, you've never experienced that, you're not in that zone, as it were, you don't know the Lord. Uh, when this service is done, I want to just encourage you to come up here. And There's a table up here. Uh, there'll be a person after, after the service who'd love to explain what that's about. But at, at any point during the service, if you just want to surrender your life to Jesus, just do it. And that's the start. That's the start. You just... You just let him win you over. Say, okay, I give up, and you surrender your life to him. My name is Greg. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and it's just so good to come together and be in the presence of God, isn't it? That God is in this place, and needs are being met, and it's just so beautiful to see God moving up here. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I'm so glad to see all of you here. All right, we're uh, talking about the beautiful life. We're in a series here. Uh, normally, we just go verse by verse through the Bible, and we've been looking at Luke, but we've taken a couple weeks off to examine a topic. And the topic is the beautiful life. And the reason we're calling it that is, is for this reason. The kingdom of God is beautiful because the kingdom of God always looks like Jesus Christ dying on Calvary for the very people who crucified him. The kingdom of God does not look like any political program, any government, any religion. It looks like Jesus Christ expressing God's love by sacrificing for others, including your worst enemy. And uh, the reality also is that our lives are not always reflective of that. Uh, we don't perfectly manifest the beauty of the kingdom. Our main job in life is just to be beautiful people who manifest the beauty of God. But the reality is, is that our lives are, let us be honest, uh, rather typical. And the typical American life just ain't that beautiful. And so we have been looking at the issue of how do we take biblical principles and transition our lives from where they're at now to lives that are at least more reflective of the beauty of God. And so we've looked at a lot of different things. I, and I appreciate Annie and Scott and Dwayne uh, uh, preaching these messages. It's been a real team effort. It's just been, I think, outstanding in the devotional and the small groups. We've had over 1,000 people in small groups that have been studying this. And it's just been a, a, a very cool endeavor. We've looked at relationships and how important relationships are to the beautiful life and the need to prioritize relationships and bring covenantal understanding to relationships and, and to know who you're, who, who, who's got refrigerator rights and who's got living room rights and who's got front door rights in your life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, then I encourage you to, to, to pick up the tape from last week and the week before. And we've talked about prioritizing and, and honestly taking a look at our, our commitments and, and what we do with our time and what we do with our finances and, and be, being open to downsizing and simplifying our life and things of that sort. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is this. I, I entitled this message, uh, Beautifying Faith. Because... What I know is this, 
that all those principles and all those insights and all that teaching, however good it may and true it may be, it will have no lasting effect on our life except insofar as it's accompanied by and fused with a, a persevering faith, a kingdom faith, that it will be so. Without faith, there's nothing of kingdom value that happens. That's why it says in Hebrews that it's, without faith it's impossible to please God. And so the beautiful life presupposes a beautifying faith. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. This beautifying faith, this kingdom faith. To do that, I want to look at the person of Abraham. Abraham and how God called him. So I'm reading from Genesis chapter 11, starting with verse 31, and I'll read through chapter 12, verse 4. I'm reading from the TNIV version. Which says this. Terah took his son Abram, that was his name before he was called Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to the city of Haran, they settled there. Now they're supposed to go to Canaan, but they settled in Haran. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in the place where he settled. He never did make it. He died in Haran. And back then, people were living quite a bit longer than they do now. That's why he lived to be 205 years old. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, Haran, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Turns out that this was the land of Canaan, uh, the very place where his father had been heading. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and, and whoever curses you, I will curse. But know this, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Great time of life to start a new thing. 75 years old. You're never too old. And actually, back in those days, that's about middle age. Now, a few other verses. You don't have to turn here, but from the book of Hebrews. Here's what it says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what faith is. This is the only verse I like best in the King James Version. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word there is hypostasis, which means uh, uh, substantial reality or essence. Uh, it is the evidence of things not seen. The word there is a leg cost, which can mean evidence or conviction. Uh, it, it's, it's your experiential proof. And then it says this in verse 8. Now, by faith, the faith he just talked about, faith that is a substantial reality that brings about conviction in your heart, by faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, that faith he just talked about, Faith is a substantial reality that produces a conviction in the heart. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Faith, the faith of Abraham. It's always good to start with a question. Uh, I mentioned this before, that one of the best ways to get into the Word of God and, and kind of unlock some of its secrets is to ask questions. You may not always get answers. A lot of times you don't get answers, but the questions will draw you into the text. So here's a question. Why did Terah, the father of Abraham, leave Ur and head to Canaan? Why did he leave in the first place? The text doesn't tell us. 
But if you think about it, you've got to ask this question. How likely is it that it just happens to be that he was heading to the same land that God called Abraham to? Uh, is that just a coincidence that he happens to, for whatever reasons, be leaving Ur to go to Canaan, and then it, he settles in Haran where, where he wasn't supposed to settle, and then God calls Abraham to carry on and make it all the way to the land of Canaan? It seems to me that the text is suggesting that Abraham was completing a task that Terah was initially supposed to fulfill. It seems to me as I read this that God had called Terah out of Ur to go into Canaan. But Terah settled in Haran. Now, second question. Why would Terah settle in the city of Haran when he was all the while supposed to be heading towards Canaan? That was his original destination. Why did he settle? And again, we're not told. The text doesn't tell us, but I don't think it's hard to imagine why that might have happened. Traveling in those days was always dangerous, especially in this, uh, this part of the world. In fact, it's still pretty dangerous over there in this part of the world, traveling. But there's all sorts of thieves and robbers and nomadic tribes that would, you know, uh, attack uh, travelers and steal their goods and kill them. So traveling was dangerous. Traveling in these days was also uh, very difficult. This was before the days of Northwest Airlines or United or, or transit bus or trains or even automobiles. They had to travel on, on camels and it was very slow in a terrain that was very rugged in an atmosphere that was very hot. If a drought ever broke out, you could easily die. You live from water hole to water hole, basically. So traveling is very difficult, and traveling is very dangerous in this time. And so they come upon this city of Haran. And uh, whatever else was true about the city of Haran, we're not told anything about it, but it certainly had more security than what they had traveling, certainly had more comfort than what they had traveling, more conveniences than what they had traveling. And so there'd be kind of a pool there. No doubt... Terah initially stopped just to take a break. It's like, oh, here's a place where we can just kind of, let's take a little rest. Uh, but that rest could easily turn into a short-term vacation, which could easily turn into a sort of permanent stopping point. It just might have been that someone in this city was looking for a tent maker, and maybe Abraham made tents, for all we know, whatever his occupation was. So he's got gainful employment. He could, he could put his roots down here. He could start a good life. He'd have security here. that meet some nice people. They're welcomed into the local church. Who knows what happened? But this is certainly a whole lot more comforting and convenient and safe than traveling out there. So Haran, Haran, the city of Haran starts to call them. Say, why don't you just kind of settle here? And the more that Haran calls them, the less that Terah hears the call of God. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me where you get a, a real definite call of God in your life and you're going in a certain direction, but, you know, time happens, things happen, events happen, you know, life happens. And before long, you're wondering, was that really God? Maybe Terah was thinking like that. Was, that. was that really God? Maybe I was just... He was going through a midlife crisis. Maybe, I, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Why did I ever leave Ur? But, but you know, now that I'm here and this is a nice place, maybe, maybe God meant to call me here and not Canaan. You know, we start rationalizing and, and thinking our way around the voice of God. But before you know it, he's in this place. Sometimes you set out on a journey and, and, and the hardships are such that, that, that a break midway becomes a stopping point. A couple years ago, I was training for a marathon with my daughter, Danae. We we're going to try to break three hours in the marathon. I thought maybe I have one more sub-three hour under my belt. 
And so we're really training hard and, and going at it. We were running around the Lake of the Isles on a Saturday morning with a bunch of friends doing a 20-mile training run in preparation for the marathon. Now, it was pretty warm this day. It was like 75 when we started and 85 within an hour, and it was hot. And I am not a hot-weather runner. Truth is, right now, I'm not a runner at all. But, but even back then, when I was in really good shape, uh, you know, God gave me the heart of a marathoner, but the body of a wrestler, and I just got way too much insulation. And so uh, when it's hot, I just, my, my skin just doesn't breathe, you know. And so uh, I, I'm starting to hurt. By mile eight, I'm starting to really get hot and, and slowing down and, and dragging. By mile 10, it's looking really kind of ugly. And by mile 13, I'm starting to get that tingly feeling when you're kind of in trouble. I stopped to get a drink of water, which I was doing about every 10 feet when possible. And uh, I'm just guzzling in this water. Everyone else is like, Greg, we have a training run to do. You know, you, you think about the, you know, keep on going, Greg. Think about the vision. Think about how you're going to break through hours. Don't you want to do that? Let's get going. We got to train. I'm like, just give me a moment. Just, I just got to drink some more. And then I notice the lake about 100 yards that way. That nice, cool water lake. Uh, I think it was Lake Harriet, Lake Nokomis, one of those. And uh, I said, okay, just give me okay, just one minute. I, I, if I jump in there, it will cool me down. I'll get rid of the tinglys, and I'll be back refreshed and ready to go for it. I still have the vision of breaking three hours in the marathon. So I go in there, I dive in. And it took me about two seconds to realize that there's no way I'm ever going to get out of that lake. <laughs> it felt so good. It was like... You know, but I, at first I was kidding myself. I, I said, okay, guys, okay, give me two minutes. I, I'll be right. I just, I'm just kidding. You know, okay, give me three minutes. Uh, who give me four? Give me four, five, five minutes. Give me five, 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 five. Well, before too long, I said, okay, guys, tell you what. Just you go on without me and send a car back uh, to drag me out of this water because there's no way I'm getting out of here. This is just too good. The vision for sub three hours was gone. My vision was simply resting in this nice, cool lake. That happens sometimes. Little breaks become sort of uh, longer vacations that become permanent stopping points. That seems to be what happened to Terah. God called him out of Ur, comes to Haran. It's it's difficult and it's dangerous out there. Haran offers him some security, and boom, this temporary stopping point becomes a permanent place where they stay. And he never does get out of there. Think how history might have been different had he gone all the way. Now, we don't know because we only know the way history turns out, not the way it could have turned out. But it just might be that if Tara had followed through with his initial call to go all the way, it might be the case that instead of reading about Abraham, the hero of faith, we'd be reading about Terah, the hero of faith. Maybe in Hebrews 11, it wouldn't be Abraham would be held up, it'd be Terah. Maybe our kids wouldn't be singing, Father Abraham had many sons. They'd be singing, Father Terah had many sons, many sons had Father Terah. You know, maybe Terah would be called the father of all, believe, all who believe, and through Terah, all the nations of the world would be blessed. We don't know, but that could be. What I think is really clear is that he was supposed to go to Canaan, but he stopped halfway. He quit. He settled. He, didn't, he lost the initial vision. He didn't have faith to follow it through. He quit. He became an ordinary Heronite. And God loves the Heronites. God blessed the Heronites. But Terah wasn't supposed to be a Heronite. He's supposed to make it all the way to Canaan. Now, when human beings quit, God is not at a loss. Uh, God does not quit. And it was very important for God at this point to, for his, he had a plan for world history and he wants to raise up a people starting in the land of Canaan. So he's going to get a faithful covenant partner over to the land of Canaan. And if a, and if a Terah uh, says no and quits at Haran, God's got other plans. So God calls his son. 
Uh, God is an omni-resourceful God, and when plan A doesn't go, he's got a plan B, and if plan B fails, uh, he's got a plan C. So now he turns to Abraham and says, tell you what, Abraham, I'll make you the same offer I made your dad. I'll make out of you uh, a, a, a person who will bless all the nations, and your name will be great, and, and, and you will be my covenant partner. You'll, you'll be a hero of faith. I'm calling you. And Abraham said yes. Now, Abraham could have given a lot of reasons to say no. All the reasons that his dad had for eventually quitting, he could have given to say no thanks. Could have said, oh God, you want me to go back out there in that desert where it's hot and it's dangerous and it's difficult and you got to live from water hole to water hole? And don't you know, God, I come from a long lineage of quitters. Man, we, we go halfway, we quit. Look at my old man. We, we just quit. Find somebody else. But instead, Abraham, it says, responded to the call of God with faith. And he had a vision of God fulfilling his promises and he began to move towards it. And that's why he's held up as a hero of faith throughout the Bible. And that's why we sing Father Abraham instead of Father Terah. The center of our call as kingdom people is to have faith like Abraham had faith. To have the faith of Abraham. That's why he's called the father of all belief. Uh, we're, we're to imitate him in having faith. Now, let's talk about what faith is because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. For some of you, if you've been here for any length of time, this might be a little bit of review, but it's an important review. For others, it will be brand new. Here's what faith is. We read about it earlier in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Let's, let's chew on this here a little bit. I would paraphrase this passage this way. Faith is seeing a hoped for, or it could be an anticipated future, as a present substantial reality, hypostasis, and moving toward it with the conviction, elegkos, that it will be so. Faith is holding a, an anticipated or hoped for future as a substantial reality in your mind. You see it, you envision it, you imagine it. And, and that, that, that imagining, that substantial reality creates a conviction and a passion that moves your behavior such that you move, you move towards bringing that, that, in, that vision into reality. That is the essence of faith. It's got three components. You can break it down like this. There's a vision, which is the hypostasis. You see it concretely as though it was. That, that vision creates a conviction. It led cost. It will be so. And that motivates your behavior to bring it into being. If you were at this renovation conference that we had this weekend. That's our counseling, the name for our counseling center. We have a, a, a unique approach at addressing issues in life. If you were here, you learned this, that all thought is like this. When we think, we don't think with information. When we think, we think with pictures. We think with words. We think with sounds. We replicate reality on the inside. That's how you think. If I ask you, what, 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 what's the color of your bedspread? Right now you're thinking about the color of your bedspread, but you're not seeing a ticker tape piece of information telling you what the color of your bedspread is. You're seeing your bedspread. You're re-experiencing you're re your bedspread, and that's how you know what color it is. All thought is concrete. And all thought has a faith component to it. Now follow me on this. Every action you do is because, though you probably weren't conscious of it, you were in your mind anticipating a future, seeing a future that was producing an emotion that was leading to a kind of behavior. All thought is concrete and all thought has this vision component to it. You can't think about the future any other way. Let me, let me give you another. Oh, this is why, by the way, Jesus said, 
according to your faith, be it unto you. This, the main driver in your life, the main decisive variable that will determine the quality of your life, whether your life's going to be beautiful or just ordinary, whether it's going to be kingdom or just worldly, the main variable is what kind of faith do you have. According to your faith, whatever you're believing, however you're running substantial realities in your head that are producing a conviction that leads to a certain kind of behavior, that's going to decide the direction of your life and the quality of your life. All thought is like this. All future thinking is like this. It involves faith. So for example... When I was doing this sermon, I stopped to analyze what I normally do subconsciously. I want to become conscious of. So I'm asking the question, how do, how do I have faith for sermons, sermon preparation? And what I discover is this. I start by getting a vision. I get a vision that, that, that isn't a bunch of information. Rather, it's a substantial reality. It's a hypostasis. And I see myself delivering this message. I, I have a way of representing it, landing, having a power, having an authority, changing lives. I have a way of representing that. I have a way of representing God's approval for it. I, I, I'm always kind of looking for a, kind of a thumbs up where God says, okay, that's the one I want you to, 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 to give. And, and I have this vision. It creates an, a leg cost in me, uh, a, a conviction, a passion in me. I want that. That's what I'm wired to, to do. So that's what leads me now to start doing the research and start doing the prayer and start doing the preparation to put together the message. The vision leads to a conviction that leads to action. Whatever we do, whatever, all of our activity, it operates like this. According to your faith, be it unto you. Somebody who's listening to this message right now undoubtedly is hoping for a job promotion. You think you're supposed to have a job promotion, and, and you're working towards a job promotion. Why not? And uh, uh, the way you do that, if you become conscious of it, if you become a detective of your own mind and analyze it, the way you do that is that you have a vision of what it would be like for you to, to, to have this, this job promotion, for you to no longer be under this petty boss that you're under now, but rather you get to be boss, and, and for you to have the pay, the pay raise. And, and you have a vision of that, and it's good, and it creates in you a, a conviction, a passion that then leads you to a, a certain kind of behavior where you're now trying to get promoted. You see, it all involves vision, which involves leg cost, conviction, which involves behavior alteration. All of our life is characterized by this. According to your faith, be it unto you. Uh, it's the main decisive variable for the quality of our life. You find, show me a marriage that's on the rocks, and I'll show you two people who are having faith for a marriage that's on the rocks. When, when, they're, when they're not around each other, uh, and even when they are around each other, they're running, uh, they're running uh, uh, movies about each other that are not positive. They're running as a substantial reality, uh, memories of things that were bad, things that he said, things that she said. And, and they're creating negative emotions that are, are influencing their behavior to move out of the marriage. Now show me a, a marriage that's doing great, that they're solid. I'll show you two people who are having faith for a great marriage. And that's not a theoretical thing. That's a substantial reality between the ears kind of a thing. When they think about each other, yeah, they have fights like everybody else, but that's not what they remember. That's not what they highlight. They, they, they are seeing pictures, sometimes in full color, sometimes with sound, with sensations of, of, of their spouse in a positive way, in a tender way, which creates positive and tender emotions, which motivates their behavior to stay in the marriage. And so it is for everything about our life. According to your faith, be it unto you. It's the main driver of our life. Whether you're going to be an optimistic or a pessimistic person depends on the faith that you have. At least it depends on faith more than anything else. Whether you're going to be successful or whether you're going to be a failure depends on the faith that you have. Whether you're going to be in a solid marriage or, or a, a failing marriage, 
There's other variables that influence that for sure, but the main variable is about faith. Whether your life's going to be beautiful or, or just typical or ordinary and maybe even downright ugly depends on the faith that you're running. What you do in life is a function of your faith more than anything else. According to your faith, be it unto you. And we are called kingdom people to have a faith that Abraham had, which is about getting a concrete vision that produces a concrete kingdom uh, conviction and passion that leads to concrete behavior, kingdom behavior. Terah lost that. Abraham had that. That's why Abraham is held up as the hero and not Terah. Now, two important questions we kingdom people have to ask ourselves in the light of this. Question number one. Am I an Abraham or am I a Terah? And this isn't about a guilt-shame thing. It's about a let's-get-real thing. Let's analyze ourselves. Am I an Abraham or am I a Terah? Which is to ask this. Am I on a journey of faith or have I settled in Haran? Is the direction of my life determined most fundamentally by a vision that God has given to me about what he wants my life to be and what he wants me to do? Or is the direction of my life determined mostly by circumstances, by culture, and by past experiences? Is my life defined by my journey to the promised land, or is my life defined by the comfort and convenience of Haran? Do I see myself as one who's called by God, or do I see myself as an ordinary, typical Haranite? Uh, am I a stranger? Am I in this world like a stranger in a foreign country? journeying towards a promised land? Or have I really gotten pretty comfortable with the here and now? Have I settled? Am I just going through life, you know, like, like an ordinary Heronite looking for comfort and convenience? Here's a question that will cut through everything. Ready for it? Okay. Ask yourself honestly this question. What am I doing now that I wouldn't be doing if I wasn't called by God and didn't have faith? Gets to the quick of things, doesn't it? How is your life different because you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and a member of the kingdom of God? George Barna, who's the guy who does all this research all the time, he did this research a couple of years ago, and what he showed is that almost three out of four Christians, about 70% of all who profess uh, Jesus Christ as Lord, or at least answer, I'm a Christian, when asked by a pollster, about 70% of them, uh, there's no discernible difference between their life and the life of non-Christians. Nor is there any discernible difference between their life as a Christian or the life before they were a Christian. Yes, they go to church a little bit more, and their average giving to church and charities is about half of a percentage point higher than non-Christians. It's around 2%. But by and large, there's no discernible difference between, between how they look at the world, how they interact with the world, the values that they have, the things that they do, where they live, what they own, how they handle their finances. Very little difference. And see, something is fundamentally wrong with that. Faith is about a concrete vision that always produces a conviction that always produces an action. So a faith that doesn't produce a different action is, as James says, a dead faith. It's not really faith. He says this in James chapter 2. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. It's not really faith. A dead human being is not really a human being. It's, 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 it's what was once a human being, but it's not a human being now. Not a full person. So also, a faith that is dead is, it is mere belief. It's not really faith. Now, there's a difference between belief and faith. In fact, James, in the same passage I just read, he says, the devil and the demons, they believe. 
They know. They know that God, Jesus is Lord. They know God. They know all that stuff. Their theology is perfect. They believe it, but they don't have faith. It doesn't change them. That's the difference. You can have a theoretical belief that makes no functional difference in your life. Here's the difference. Uh, I, for many years, actually, I, I believed that wearing seatbelts is very important. Wearing seatbelts keeps you safe. I have believed that since I first saw statistics on that. Uh, research shows that there's like a 50 to 70% uh, improvement on your safety factor if you're wearing seatbelts. So I believe that. Who could deny that? But I never wore seatbelts. I could never for my life remember to put on my seatbelt. Uh, it just didn't happen. Until about a year ago. I was driving home from a, a Saturday night service, going down Highway 94, roughly 65 miles an hour, give or take. I was in a hurry to get home, okay? So I'm going down the highway. And uh, I was going about speed limit. And a lady comes up alongside of me. And uh, I don't know, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened to me in an automobile. I'm just driving along singing. I, got, I, I always have a drumstick, you know, and I'm always playing my mirror with it, going to the music, having a good old time. This lady does a hard, I don't know what her deal was. Maybe it was a seizure. I know drugs were involved, but she does a hard right right into me. Like, it turns Highway 94 into this demolition derby. This, and she, she almost hits me like at a right angle. It was just incredible. And she's like going 80 or so. Sends my car into the spin. And her car goes into the spin on, a dry, on dry concrete. I mean, you see smoke everywhere, tire burning. And I remember this. It happened in a split second. But now that I think back on it, it's like in slow motion. Have you ever had that happen? It's like one of those things that it's like it goes in super slow motion. So I see myself, you know, the car's spinning. And honestly, I'm not exaggerating. There was two cars that I missed by, it couldn't have been more than a total of eight inches. It was like synchronized swimming. I, I, I was going, and there's a car that's going like this, and they don't have time to respond. But I remember looking, it's like, oh, it's going to hit. It's going to, whoa, just missed. And just as my car's like this, there's another car coming. And it's like, for sure this is going to hit. How could it not possibly miss? It just misses. And, and, and I, I, I was thinking to myself, this could be the big one. I could be dead now. Uh, but I wasn't afraid. It was more like, this is really interesting. It was like, <laughs> I, I, honestly, it was calm. It was like, it was kind of exciting and interesting. It was like, whoa, no. <laughs> Well, praise God and thank, thank God for guardian angels that were staying awake or whatever. But, but I came out of that okay. Now, what's interesting is this. Next day, <laughs> no problem. And I, since then, I remember about a year, about a year and a half ago, I remember I had a video here where uh, uh, I, I went around to different sites and saw what people were doing in ministry and whatever. And, they, and, and Fritz taped me while I was in the car. And about six of you got on my case big time because I didn't have a seatbelt on in that video. And see, even with that very wise and sometimes stern advice, I still didn't break the habit of not wearing a seatbelt. But after this close encounter of the worst kind, all of a sudden it's like, I, I remember. Now what's different is that I no longer just believe the statistics about seatbelts. I have a faith. I, I, on some level, I see a picture of me in a car wreck. That now is a very real possibility. It's, it's hitting home to me. And that inspires this conviction that serves to remind me to put on that seatbelt. See, there's a world of difference between believing something is true on the one hand and having faith that it's true on the other. And the difference here is this. When you have faith, you see it. It's a substantial reality in your mind that produces a conviction that changes your behavior. That's the essence of faith. God calls us kingdom people 
To not just believe that we can get out of the Ur of our present state of being, but to have faith that he wants us to get out of Ur. To see us getting out of Ur. To moving into the promised land. God wants us, amen. God wants us not just to believe that we can have a beautiful life. Oh yes, that God, that we're children of God. But, but God wants us to see it, to entertain, spend time where we run virtual reality movies with full color, motion, sound, kinesthetic feeling, where we see ourselves walking as the children of God. What do you look like? Ask God to show you a vision of what you look like when you're really manifesting the beauty of Jesus Christ. What do you look like when you're filled with the Spirit of God? What do you look like when you've got an unsurpassable love flowing out of you, even to your worst enemies? Yes, even to that boss that you're presently under. What do you look like? What, what, run a movie of what it looks like for you to, to have a simpler life that God's calling you to, to have more of a peace about you, more of a, a, a wisdom about you, more prioritization about you, not to be so scattered. It's one thing to believe that it can happen, but that won't change a thing in your life until you get a vision for it, a picture of it, run the movie of it, and let it begin to create a passion that says, man, I want that. I got to have that. That's what God's calling me to, because that will then motivate your behavior to start making the tough decisions that you need to make to bring that vision into reality. That's what God wants from kingdom people. That's kingdom faith. Amen. Amen. That is the kingdom faith. Ask God to give you the vision. Without a vision, he says, my people perish. you got to get a vision. Run a movie of what you look like as a child of God. Run a movie full color with sound and feeling. Enter into this and enjoy it about where God might have you plug in. What ministry has he given you? This is how God talks to us. And let that produce a conviction that leads to a change in behavior. The difference between an Abraham and a Terah is not that one is better than another or, or, or anything else of the sort. It's that one has got faith that leads you to persevere in getting out of Ur rather than stopping at Haran. Which leads to my second question, and it's this. What, what is your Haran? What is it that pulls you, calls you to settle? I could say, what is your cool lake at mile 12 that's saying, come in just for a moment? And on some level, you know that you jump in that lake and you ain't getting out. What is your haran that pulls you? we got to know this. If you're serious about moving forward and having a countercultural kingdom life, you've got to expect resistance at every turn. This isn't a vacation resort that we're in. We're in a war zone. There are forces out there that are intentional at keeping you from going all the way to the promised land. They're okay with you being a middle-of-the-road, kind of a milquetoast, mediocre, blending with the crowd uh, Christian or someone who answers, I'm a Christian when asked by a poster. They're, they're not threatened by that. But you begin to become a radical disciple who wants to genuinely manifest the beauty of God in your life. That, that intimidates the kingdom of darkness and they'll go out of their way to make sure that there's resistance. Uh, temptations at every turn. What is your Haran? You just got to know that going into this that there will be a call. God maybe calls you to, to simplify. You get a vision for how your life could be simpler, how you could downsize, how you could get by with less. But I guarantee you that immediately there will be, a, be a, a Heronite voice in your head that will say something like, what are you doing? That's un-American. That's not even normal, man. You worked hard for this house. You deserve this house. And What are you thinking about moving forward? That you're, just, you're having a bad day. Okay, we all have that. Write it off. You'll get over it tomorrow. Don't take this kind of thinking seriously. Uh, you need these extra conveniences. You deserve these extra conveniences. What are you doing sacrificing when there's nothing in it for you? And yada, yada, yada. Don't be surprised when Haran starts calling you. Uh, 
you, God maybe gives you a vision for, 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 for adopting a child, being part of our adoption ministry. And you get a picture of that, and there's a part of you that gets that leg cost, that conviction that says, yes, I want that. There's something beautiful about that. You start moving towards that, I guarantee you, there'll be a little Haran voice that says, oh, come on, what are you doing? You're going to adopt a kid, you're not even married. How can you raise a child on your own? Or you're going to adopt a kid, you are married. Uh, you know, what do you want to shake the boat with your good marriage for? Or you're going to adopt a kid, your marriage not, isn't perfect. You know, what are you doing bringing in more trouble here, or at least there's potential trouble? Or you, you're going to adopt a kid and you've got a great marriage, but you, 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 what about your own two kids? And, and do you want to take a risk here? It's not normal to take a risk. Sane people never take risks. Sane people play it safe. Especially in America, what are you thinking of? Oh, your motivation, God didn't tell you to do this. This is just your own little guilt-ridden, I want to be a good person kind of a thing. You'll get over it tomorrow. Don't bother going to this Tuesday meeting. Whatever God calls you to, there's going to be a Haran voice. It could be big things, it could be little things. Maybe God's saying, you know what? Cut your TV watching in half. You're becoming addicted. And spend that extra five hours with your family, with your family, with, with me. And I'm not saying that's a universal principle, but God may call you. And by the way, if God calls you to do that, it doesn't mean that God calls everyone to do that. Some people living in Haran are supposed to be in Haran. It's just that if you're not called to Haran, you're not supposed to be there. And God may call you to give up something that he doesn't call everyone else, which is why there can be no judgment in the body of Christ. But if God does call you to give up half your TV time and then invest it with your family or whatever, there'll be a, a Haran voice, I guarantee it, saying, don't you just miss Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy? Oh, that was such, you had so much fun. I mean, come on, this is so boring what you're doing now, and yada, yada, yada. Don't be surprised when that happens. Someone I know had decided to fast from fast foods. I uh, just said, you know what, I, I, I'm spending, the average American spends about $25 a week on fast food. Uh, 25 more than they would have spent if they would have just prepared their own food. And this person said, I'm going to fast from that. Not that this is a universal rule or whatever. Not, don't judge anyone who goes to McDonald's or White Castle. But God calls you, perhaps, to say, fast from fast foods. Take that extra $25 and invest it in, in a ministry or in the church or something or other. And I guarantee you, oh, you'll do good, miles 1 through 10. But mile 11, all of a sudden, there's a nice quarter pounder with your name on it saying, come on. And just, oh, one bite. Come on, one little bite. And... And, and it's, it, then you start getting this stuff like, what am I doing? This is stupid. Other people aren't doing this kind of stuff. And see, for every vision God gives you, whether it's a life-changing decision to go to Tanzania or whether it's a little decision like, like cut your TV watching down or fast foods down or drinking down or smoking down or spend more time with your family or spend more time with your, your, your refrigerator right friends, whatever it is, there'll be a Haran voice. And the quality of your life, whether your life is kingdom or not, or the extent to which this kingdom largely hangs on the decision you make in those moments. Are you going to give in to the, the, the call of Haran, or are you going to stick with the vision of God? And God calls us to keep that vision before us, to motivate us, to create in us a conviction to move forward. Hear me when I say this. In Jesus' name, never settle. Bless the, the Haranites, but bless them as you're passing through. That's not where you belong. Uh, you belong in the promised land. And as long as God's calling us, as long as the Lord tarries until he comes and sets up shop here on earth or until you just happen to be an absolute perfect manifestation of the kingdom, until that happens, never get too comfortable. You're not supposed to get too comfortable. This land isn't your hometown. You're not a Heronite. Your destiny's somewhere else. You ought to be uncomfortable. 
Some people wonder why it is we're always challenging and we're always kind of upsetting the, 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 the apple cart and, and, and we're always you know, putting out opportunities for people to sacrifice. And that's because this is what the kingdom's all about. You know, it's about sacrifice. It's about being uncomfortable. If you start to get too comfortable with life, start to get paranoid. In Jesus' name, start worrying about yourself because we're always supposed to be growing and challenging and there's always uh, another dimension of the kingdom and the beauty that we're supposed to take on. Here's something to be really paranoid about, other than the time. But look, look, the language of Haran is largely a language of if only. What, more than anything else I believe, causes us to settle halfway, rather than going all the way, is some if only clause. The, the language of Haran is a language of only. If only I, and I'll fill in the blank, if only I blank, well then I would be able to go all the way. Then I'd be able to be this, that, or the other thing. But since I do have this blank, obviously the best I can hope for is Haran. I'm just your ordinary Haranite. If only, if only, if only I was raised differently, I wouldn't have these struggles right now, and then I could be super Christian. Why? But, you know, I, I was raised a certain way, and, and I just got to settle for Haran. You know, if only, if only I, I had a different religious upbringing, if only I was rich. Well, if only I had more money, boy, what I could do with God if I had more money, but since I'm so poor, I really can't amount to much of anything. If only I hadn't been so abused as I was growing up and didn't have all these voices in my head. If only I, you know, I wasn't always the victim. Well, then I could be a super Christian. Then I could make it to the promised land. Then I wouldn't settle in Haran. But as it is, given my upbringing, given who I am, well, then I'm actually, it's quite an achievement for me to be in Haran. I'm lucky I made it this far. You'd think I'd be back in Ur. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go all the way with that. If only I was taller, if only I was shorter, if only I was skinnier, if if only I wasn't so doggone skinny. If only I wasn't so good looking. You know, that's a real problem for some of us. It's like, if only I, I have all these temptations, you know, how could a person like me? Or if only I wasn't so ugly. You know, that, that's another one. If only I was a different color. If only I had a different ethnicity. If only I was gay or if only I was straight. If only I didn't have this struggle or that struggle. If only I hadn't done those terrible things in my past or if only those terrible things weren't done to me in the past. If only I hadn't gotten the abortion. If only I hadn't gotten the divorce. If only I wasn't married to this person, boy, I could really soar for Jesus. But given my marriage... Oh, I gotta st I'm stuck here in Iran. Nothing I can do about that one, you know? If only, if only, if only, if only, if only, we got more excuses than there are stars in the sky. But I'm here to tell you this. If you believe that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, died on a cross for you, then you can just say goodbye to all of those if-onlys. They don't mean a thing. Get rid of them. They're nailed to the cross. If only talk is fine for the Heronites, that's all they know. But for kingdom people, look at You are a child of God. You are filled with the Spirit. You're a descendant of Abraham. You got no business wallowing in your if-onlys. There aren't any if-onlys that matter. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past that is despicable. You wear your forgiveness like a crown and get rid of this if-only talk. There aren't any second-class Christians. There's only first-class Christians. And God wants you to go all the way to Canaan. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are or what kind of experiences you've had or what kind of religious abuse has gone on or whatever. The only thing that matters is this. God is God and you are you and he died for you and he's given you a vision of how your life can reflect him. It's the only thing that matters. And with God, all things are possible. The Bible says, get rid of the if-only talk. You're filled with the Spirit of God. Get rid of the if-only talk. You know, you're destined for, for, for glory. Get rid of the, the, the if-only talk. The kingdom person's got no business with if-onlys. That, the devil has us just blaming, 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 blaming. And, and some of the, there will be struggles. Of course there's struggles. That's how we grow. Abraham had plenty of struggles, and he also had plenty of failures. I mean, you read the story about Abraham. 
He pawned his wife off twice because he was afraid of Pharaoh. Who's the her? You know, that's not cool. Why don't you do that? I'll get really mad, all right? But look at, okay, he's a human being. He screwed up. But see, he still kept the vision and he grew through it. Yes, there's obstacles, there's Philistines, there's faults, there's problems. Keep the vision. Never settle. Let it burn in your psyche. Let it produce that conviction in your, in your gut and let it produce a change in your behavior. And now you're on your way to the promised land, the beautiful life that God calls you to, that we're to be growing to. Don't settle in Haran for nothing. Go all the way with God. Close your eyes. I'm just going to pray this prayer. In fact, let me ask this. First, is there anybody here who you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? You've never even really gotten out of Ur. You haven't started the journey, but you want to start right now. And this is just a commitment between you and God, but I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand if you want to start walking with God? Okay, automatically. Just very quickly, raise your hand all over the place. I see hands going up. Just before God, just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to start this walk. Maybe you've been you know, a churchgoer on occasion, but you haven't gotten serious about it. Maybe you've been a believer, but not a faith person. Raise your hand if you want to start being a faith person. All right, amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Anybody else? Holy Spirit, work on people's hearts. And kingdom people, you be praying. Anybody else? Okay, oh, wonderful. I love this. People are raising their hand. It's just, this is a magic. This isn't fire insurance. This is commitment before God. Raise your All right. You who raised your hands, I just want you to pray this. We're going to pray with you. Say it out loud. Picture Jesus as you pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you created me, that you died for me, and that you want me to live with you throughout eternity. I confess that I've done wrong. I admit I haven't lived reflecting the truth that you are Lord. But I want to change right here and right now. So I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to live in me, and to help me live for you the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Wonderful. Yes. 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 All right. Now, look at you who, raised, you who made that commitment. You're not in Canaan yet, okay? That was the first baby step out of Ur. You need help if you're going to make this journey. So I want to ask you, I want to implore you to come up here, uh, this, this table. See that nice lady raising her hand? She's got some information and a Bible and some other free stuff she wants to give you to help start it on the walk with God. To the rest of us, I encourage us to leave with this thought. Never settle. N identify your Haran voices. Be honest with yourself. And, and ask the question, have you settled? Have, have you gotten too comfortable in a state that you know uh, is not where God wants you? And then ask God to give you a concrete, colorful picture that you savor when you're driving in the car, when you're praying, when you're going to bed. A picture of what you look like as you're living the beautiful life. Let it create in you a conviction and a passion that leads to a change of behavior that brings that vision into reality. And now God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what it's all about. Go out and build the kingdom. If you've got any uh, prayer needs whatsoever, come forward. Our prayer team will be up here. And we'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. Go build it.